0: Matthew chapter 14. How did Jesus do it? Let the Father. And we're going to look at two examples where Jesus did the impossible, or his Father in him doing the impossible through him. And in it, I believe he will give us some guidance. There is an account, it's the feeding of the 5,000, that are found in all four Gospels. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at this just very briefly because we find something in the introduction that we do not find in the introduction. I said parable. It's a true story. It's not a parable. In this event, uh, we find in all four Gospels, and we find really something different in each of the four. We've covered that before. Whenever something is shared more than once in in the Gospels, You need to look at all of them because there will be something hidden. That's the reason the Holy Spirit has shared it from four viewpoints. In Matthew chapter 14, we pick up something we do not pick up in the others. Verse 13, now when Jesus heard about John, that is, John having been beheaded, Jesus gets the news while he's out on a ministry trip concerning John being beheaded. John has been martyred. And when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself because of what happened with John, who was his cousin, and who introduced Jesus to the scene and who baptized Jesus and who, under the ministry of John's baptism, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. It was the beginning of his ministry. When John was beheaded, Jesus was moved and wanted to be alone. This is important because something is going to be said further on in this day that would might lead you to believe that he was fully prepared for this before he headed off. But he was not. He was seeking to be alone. And looking for a secluded place to be alone was where Jesus was headed, But it is not what the Father had in mind. And when you see this, you will recognize something, that it is in the practice of his presence, it is in the going that we will have many leadings of the Lord. It isn't all out of the prayer closet. Although the prayer closet and that place that he has prepared for us from John 14, verses 2 and 3, which is a now place... That He has come to dwell with us and abide with us. There is that place, but it is a place we can carry with us. It's an inner place. But I want you to see here that Jesus was seeking a secluded place by himself, and when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore he saw a large crowd. He he never was able to draw aside. His only time alone, and even that was not alone, was in the boat. And it was there with his disciples. So the place he was seeking, he did not find at this time. It was put off for a full day or well into the evening. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And that little phrase, healed their sick, is not included in several of the other accounts. He was very busy. He did not just teach. He was... uh, involved in the ministry of power going from him. You remember the woman who touched him that he did not see and of course he was in a crowd where everyone was touching him but uh, he was touched in such a way that the father the living father who was in him sent something forth. I felt power going from me and it was not his power it was because everything he did, he did not do. The works that he did were the Father who was in him. But here we see him involved in ministry where the Father is, by his life, doing the works that proved that the Father was in him. He was not just preaching a message, the gospel of the kingdom, but he was demonstrating that the reign of God had come and was reigning over diseases and sicknesses and Uh, Possibly even in this case it's not mentioned. It may have included the casting out of demons, which often accompanied the preaching of the gospel. Now let's go to Mark chapter 6. We find in Mark's account, we're going to pick it up in Mark's account. Mark chapter 6, reading from verse 32. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Here we have Jesus and the disciples. Verse 31, I, perhaps we should have read that. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Well, we know that in, involved in this was the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Verse 32, They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Verse 33, The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore... He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And of course we know from Matthew that he he performed many healings there. But it's this compassion that I, I want to make note of. Jesus was wanting to be alone. He was looking for a secluded spot. His heart no doubt was heavy over John the Baptist situation. But something happened, stirred by the Spirit of God, the Father in him. He had compassion. It's one of the few places where his compassion is mentioned. And it isn't, I don't believe, because of sickness. It's because they were like a people without a shepherd. And I believe our Lord is feeling that compassion in our hour. And I believe there are many who are running after him. Not sure what they're wanting, of course, in this case, as in As is true also of today, many like to see the signs and wonders. Many like to be fed. And and we see this in his ministry. But in the midst of it all, there is this hunger for him. And I've said this before, I I believe it. I I don't believe I've seen a time where I've at least, it may have been there, but I've not seen it or been aware of it, but I don't believe I've seen a time when there is, is such broad hunger for reality, such a hunger for the things of God. Uh, Not just the works of God, but a hunger for reality, for God Himself. And I have more hope than I've ever had in my entire walk with God. It may seem that things are really bad in the church, but I have great hope by what I see. I'm greatly encouraged. And it's the hunger because our Lord is moved by that. Our Lord really listens for a language that comes only from the heart. You know the story of Mary at the tomb. He was on the way to the Father. You remember he told Mary at the tomb, don't touch me for I'm on the the way to the Father. But he was gone and came and returned. And she thought it was the gardener. He was already out of the tomb. And later in that same day, he comes again having already been to the Father. He needed to go to the Father because there was a work that had to take place. Don't touch me now. I have yet to go to the Father. But that very evening he says to his disciples, here touch me. What moved him? Well I believe there was something from Mary's heart that didn't that he I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it wasn't there in at least the same measure. You know, Peter Peter and John were there, and another disciple were also at the tombs earlier. And she had been there earlier and returns now. He'd been gone. But something moved him, something from her heart was speaking that caused him to turn around and come back just to comfort her. And I believe our great shepherd who never ceases to intercede for us before the throne, I believe he's moved by what he's hearing from many hearts now. I believe he is. Don't hold back the groanings of your heart, the cries of your heart. Don't hold it back. It's a language he understands. It's a language he responds to. Those things we can't put into words that we just feel. Express them at least inwardly. He hears it. It's a language he understands. But he was moved by compassion here because they were like like sheep without a shepherd. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Keep your finger in here, though, because we're going to come back to this. But let's go to Luke chapter 9. And in Luke's account, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Here we know what he was preaching. And curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, verse 12. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Who would have done differently? Here's the situation. They were seeking to be off alone. They weren't prepared for a multitude, a crowd that showed up. It was not a small crowd. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. You know, it could have been 15,000, 20,000 in size. No, it wasn't a small group. They had not anticipated this. Jesus asked them to come to a secluded place. It certainly was not secluded. He had a need to be alone. He thought he had a need to be alone. The Father had something else in mind. You know, sometimes it, there's nothing wrong with it. Jesus had a need to be alone, or Jesus, man makes his plans, but God orders his steps. Proverbs and the Son of Man, you know, he was burdened with John and the ministry and was seeking to be alone and, and encountered not a little crowd, a large crowd. And upon encountering this large crowd, had compassions, preaching the gospel, healing many. And Now, how many do you suppose would come forward with a need for healing in a crowd of 5,000, 10,000, 15,000? I've got a feeling he was busy. Busy wore out, exhausted. Evening was coming. They had not planned on it. And what is the disciples' solution for a hungry crowd late in the day? Get them off of our hands, you know. It wasn't Jesus' answer. You know, we think like that. We think that this crowd that is beyond our means, this situation that has no possible answer, there's only one solution: get rid of the problem. Send the people home. Let them go fend for themselves. That's just an opportunity. It's just an opportunity, and you'll see this pattern all through Jesus's life. Unexpected. This was unexpected to Jesus. Now. I, we're going to see that the father revealed before he got to this place. But after he had left for the secluded place, the father revealed to him something. Probably when he encountered the crowd and he said, what did he say to the father? What are you doing? He didn't say to the father, father, I need to be alone. He didn't say to the father, father, you know, this issue with John the Baptist, I really just need to be with you and me. No, he believed that his father reigned. He believed that it was no accident that there was a crowd of needy people. And his solution wasn't, Father, help me escape this situation. What are you doing? Or what's this about? As soon as he turned towards the father for what the father was, you see, As we were talking about openness and focus last week, we we made a statement. Our commitment is not to need. It is not to will. It's to him. What are you about? It wasn't their need or some vague will of the Father to heal the sick and preach the gospel. Father, what are you doing here? And having always the presence of the Father, it was an ongoing conversation. Uh Uh-oh. I've discovered that. I've had an opportunity to experience having an awareness of that kind of thing. The Lord's gracious to have put me in situations and my having some understanding of this from other ministries and to when something comes up to say, what are you doing? And always, always... When you are wanting in on what he's doing, you suddenly discover what he's doing is beyond you. And it's it's wonderful wonderful to be a part of, that is to go through with him. You've all had your experiences. I'm trying to make you aware of, give you a consciousness of, that he is always with us in this. And that's what we're seeing with Jesus. He had not planned on preaching and healing to a large multitude. He was trying to, To draw aside and be alone. These were not his plans. But you see, he lived in the Father's plan. Uncle Arthur again. Tom, you remember what Uncle Arthur will say in regard to the plan? In the plan. Someone will say, Arthur, when are you coming back? In the plan. You know? We really would like you to uh, speak on uh, what you spoke on a year ago. We feel the need. In the plan. It's not my will. It's in the plan. And that's what was happening here in the plan. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away. This is a desolate place. There's no food here. Let's go to John chapter six. We're not going to go back to Matthew, so you've got enough fingers to keep them here. Verse five. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. I do nothing on my own initiative. Everything I do, I only do because my father has shown me what to do. I only speak what he's told me to speak. I do nothing on my own initiative. So you've got to, you've got to factor this into this. He knew what he was intending to do, but it was because he asked the Father, Father, what are you intending to do? Now, we're talking about how do we live out this impossible like he did. Put it together. How do we live this other life like he did? Always relating every situation, every circumstance to the Father. Always anticipating God's in this, God's in this, God's in this. An accident, come up short in the checking account, lose a job. There comes a day when we see and believe, and in seeing and believe, we recognize an opportunity. This is not for our harm. This is not some punishment. God's in this Nothing happens in our life but what He is not reigning over. does not mean the enemy does not move and tempt and threaten. But it's always by permission. It's always by permission. It's always by permission. Job chapters 1 and 2 has to get permission. He's, he just thinks he's somebody. Just putting on airs disguises lies. But Jesus, he knew what he was intending to do and he says to test them. Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Well, he knew there's no place to buy bread. It was a desolate place. Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? And I I see and uh, Ian Thomas, an older brother who's taught a great deal on the saving life of Christ, this other life, he shares this story, and I like this story. You know, Jesus said, and the word is out, where can we buy food? How can we feed these? Jesus is making it clear to his disciples and the word is getting around because they must be pressing all around him. I don't intend to send them away. And there's this little lad, I can see him, as Ian Thomas shares in his account of it. He here's this little lad tugging at Andrew's garment. Uh, I I've got I've got a few loaves and a couple fish. And Andrew son, you know, we've got fifteen thousand people here and you know there are there are a couple of theologians who've written on this and talk about the miracle of the producing of many sack lunches the miracle of many hearts being touched and many pulling out their little lunches and sharing them you're talking about unbelief that's not the case at all it's like it's like the you know the same theologians have come up with the red sea theory you know it was shallow. They were able to wade across. Well, it was just shallow enough to bury a whole army. <laughs> All the horses and chariots. And... and so here's this little lad. And Andrew said, but what's, what's a few loaves and fishes? Here's a lad. You know, we need faith like that lad. And it is that lad's littleness that the Lord chooses to use. He didn't gather up everybody's loaves and fishes. No doubt there were other loaves and fishes there. But he took just that one lad's sack lunch. A few loaves and fishes. And with that fed 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people. But what he did it with was what was in hand. We can't seem to focus on anything but what's not in hand. In my work... With churches in regard to facilities, I've learned this, and it's hard to communicate sometimes to pastors. God has given us everything we need now. It is in hand to do everything that needs to be done to win the world. We are not needing the addition of anything, loaves, fishes, monies, Are you hearing me? We have everything in hand to do what God is wanting to do. It does not mean it will be done with little. It means that he's quite able to multiply and take little and make much. But he is using here what's in hand. Let's go to Mark chapter 6, verse 35. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? I mean, 200 denarii was not enough. It's all they had in their sack or in their money pouch or whatever. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And, the, and when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And it was from a little boy who came up to Andrew. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Verse 39 of, of Mark 6. Now Jesus had already received some inspiration from the Holy Spirit from his Father who dwelt in him. The Light that was in him communicated somehow to him that he was to do something with what little the Father would provide. Take what you have. We would like to see that little multiplied before we apply it, wouldn't we? We would like in our back room to put our five loaves and two fish on the table and pray and watch and pray and watch and wait till the The table is overflowing before we go and make our show in front of the people. I'm like that. I really am. I really would like it in hand when I get here. And that's not always possible. Jesus took what was at hand. And what was at hand is enough with the Father. This other life. How did Jesus do it? Well, he didn't. He trusted his Father who was in him. He trusted his Father who was in him, who had already led him into this situation. It wasn't a situation of his own making. He didn't sit back there and make plans on how to have an evangelistic crusade in Bethsaida. He was not intending to go to Bethsaida to have a crusade. He ended up in Bethsaida, and God brought the people. And God brought the five loaves and two fish, and God brought late evening in a desolate place. His hand, his life was in his father's hands, as your life and my life is in our father's hands. It is, our lives are always in his hands. That financial situation, that health situation, that vocational situation, that child situation is in hand. And that with his life is enough five loaves and two fishes against a mortgage payment that's beyond what you have available and have been able to save and you're running, getting behind is enough with a father. It's enough. I've spent 20 plus years of my life without a salary, with no sure income, no regular check, Raising three children, never asking for an offering, and it's always there. I never missed a single payment. I was never a day late until I took it back into my own hands. That's my testimony. 20 to 25 years with never missing a day until I took it into my own hands, until... I set out to do for God a grand ministry and not smart enough to recognize that as soon as it was a day late that I was moving out of the plan because he's never a day late. Never. Ever. That's not the testimony of God that he pays late If we are moving in Him, every circumstance is ordered. Five loaves and two fish are enough to feed the world, much less 20,000, 15,000, 10,000. You put a number. How long do you suppose the Father could have multiplied that? Do you know what the miracle was in my mind? You know, we know that the Lord is quite able to speak a word and bring forth wheat. But he spoke a word and not only brought forth the wheat, but crushed it, separated the chaff, ground it, baked it. You understand what I'm getting at? All those things that men do to bring forth the loaves. And then he caught the fish. It's marvelous, isn't it? Could he have fed the world from those few? Yes, he could have. What were the limitations? He actually kind of overshot it. They, they ended up with 12 baskets full at the end. Some were so in awe they didn't eat their fair share. I don't know. Or he was just saying, your lack is my abundance for you. And I believe it is. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. Verse 40, they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He's now bringing order to the situation. Verse 41, and he took the five loaves, what was in hand. Here we have a, here's my outline for this evening. And he took the five loaves and two fishes and two fish. He took what was in hand and looking up towards heaven turned to the Father, took what was in hand, turned to the Father, related what was in hand to the Father. He blessed it, he gave thanks for it. He gave thanks for five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 plus. Would you be thankful? Are you thankful for your lack for the situation? You can be if God's in it. Turn to the Father, related to Him. He took the fish, turned to the Father, gave thanks, and broke the loaves. Mm. We could spend a whole evening on this, but I'm about out of time. The Lord has a need to break what he uses. Watchman Nee tells this story, or his story is told by Watchman Nee. He's at breakfast with some guests, and he had been sharing on brokenness, and others were having a hard time understanding it. Why must God break? What He uses? And there's a need in us to be broken. That is, Adam's mind, Adam's ways, Adam's ambitions—they need to be broken. And Watchman Nee picked up a biscuit. And took that biscuit and very carefully broke the biscuit. Just very carefully, gently broke the biscuit. Had two halves. And then he very carefully fit the two halves together and held them together. And he says, the worth of a broken biscuit is that it quickly yields to the touch of the master. Does not need to be broken again. It quickly yields. Quickly yields. In our life's experience, our problem in our situations is usually our unbrokenness. Five loaves and two fish are insufficient because of our unbrokenness. Because we can't think outside of what can we do with five loaves and two fish. When we enter into the equation, what can I do? He cannot do. As long as it is left up to what I can do, it's panic. But with brokenness, that is with God touching our lives, dealing with our self-sufficiency, dealing with our own sense of self-worth and our self-abilities, our gifts, our strength, And they're trying to relate, you know, somehow, how can I pull this together? Well, I can sing a little bit, maybe that'll draw a crowd. Or I can speak a little bit, or I lift weights, so I'll draw a crowd by lifting weights, you know. Or I run fast, so I'll draw a crowd by my running fast. God breaks that which we would offer to the five loaves and two fish. Of the twelve apostles minus Judas, along comes, of course, there was Matthias, but then there was Paul. Of all of them, who was the most equipped to go to Jews? Who had the gifts and the training and the knowledge to go to Jews? Paul. Where did God send Paul? Gentiles. Why? Why would God do that? Now hear this. It's so important. We injure many who come to Christ by teaching them to rely on their own strength, natural giftings and abilities. We do them harm. They never learn to lean on Him beyond their own sufficiencies. What God takes and blesses, He breaks. How can we do it? As Jesus did it, he was broken. It had no meaning until he was broken. There was no multiplication until he was broken. and there' will be no fruit or multiplication in your life until the pruning or brokenness. It's necessary. He took what was at hand, he turned to the Father, he blessed, and then he broke and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. After brokenness, there's the giving. Many of us are experiencing brokenness. I, I'm seeing this in the body, just as I have never had more hope because of the hunger and the and the real thirst after oh, his righteousness and his life. I have never seen a time where I have seen Him breaking so many. So many going through breakings now. So many are being brought to naught. Any of you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you will. It's necessary. It's necessary if you're wanting to live out of this other life. And if you don't want to live out of this other life, do your own thing. It's miserable. Alan, we know what that is, don't we? But out of the brokenness, there's giving. There's giving and giving and giving and giving. You know, I've one of the lessons I've learned, uh, Tom, who works with ministry, mission to the poor, he can testify of this, but if any of you have ever worked with missions to the poor, the homeless, and so forth, Do you know in their brokenness on the whole, they are absolutely unbounding in their generosity? I spent several years, three or four years, on occasion hitchhiking. Who do you suppose stopped and picked me up? Do you suppose it was the Mercedes and the Cadillacs and the Lincolns and the upper line Chevys and Buicks? No way, man, no way. Do you know who stopped and picked me up? People who knew what it was to be stranded. They did. And because of that, they were ready. He does not choose many wise, many rich, many strong. They're not ready. There's something about being broken that makes you generous. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? Richest nation on the earth. Average church member giving is less than 2%. Less than 2% of disposable income. Not gross. And this is the country that has created the prosperity message that's going throughout the world. Something wrong with this picture. It isn't the rich that are benevolent. You know, you take a man that's making... Two million dollars a year, and he gives away a hundred thousand, and everyone puts him on their board. And it's a token, it's a write off. But those who are living barely on poverty level wages can give very generously. I remember when I was working in or going in and out of China. I was told that the average Christian in China who was making at that point less than $25 a month on our scale, adjusting it to our scale, $25 a month, was giving 30 and 40% of their income away for the gospel. How? God can take a few loaves and fishes and multiply them. God wants to enter our life's situation He's wanting to be to us what he was to Christ. Christ in us, as he was sent by the Father, the living Father, and had life. He's wanting to be to us. And he is giving us a life and many opportunities by which he can show himself strong. How did he do it? He took what he had. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, hungry, hungry, hungry needy, sick, ill, and a few loaves and fish, and did so much with his little nothing that it's recorded for us and the story's been told a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand times since. And if you look at the other stories, I'm out of time. Going to use Lazarus, same thing. Took what was at hand, the situation at hand. Looked to the Father, gave thanks, spoke forth, and Lazarus came forth. Let's pray. Be to us, Father of Lights. Be to us. Be to us. What you were to your only begotten Son, our Savior. As you sent the Son and he sends us, we would live. Be to us our life, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they accept what's at hand and see it as if from you. And bring it before you and give you thanks for it, Father. And apply it to the need in their life that you might be glorified. To the praise of your holy name, that the covering of the earth with your presence might be soon, Lord, and that we might be apart, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.